You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you have your copy of Scripture, will you stand with me as we hear from the Word of God? Stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word and listen to this very familiar verse, not necessarily Christmas, Uh, In the traditional sense, but this is Christmas in the cosmic sense. Notice this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for grace and truth. We thank you that we can bask in your glory. We thank you for the songs we've been singing that point us to that glory. This time of year, Lord, things just seem to have a little bit more sparkle. They are just a little more glorious God, I believe that's one of the ways that you're proclaiming to the whole world that you are, Jesus, the Christ, that you are the Savior of the world. May we share that message in a big way this Christmas season, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Anticipation. Anticipation. That is a good Christmas word and a good gospel word. On the side of Christmas, what child doesn't anticipate the presence under the tree? For some of us, we more anticipate the coming home of children and grandchildren and gathering together as a family. And if you are a worker, you anticipate maybe a few days off and a little bit of vacation. Those are all things that we anticipate. But when we come to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that word anticipation is key. It is hard to put into words how much the people of God, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, had longed for the Messiah. They had anticipated him for hundreds of years. And when John is writing this gospel, I believe he and Matthew and Luke, all three of them, as they're writing their gospels and they're telling the world about Jesus being born into the world, all of them realize that this is the fulfillment of the anticipations, not of a handful of people, but of the entire nation. It is in uh, the, the, the Bible in the Old Testament that we see the prophets seeing little bitty glimpses of glory, little nuggets of grace and truth, but they couldn't put the whole picture together. Every prophet had something to contribute, but they couldn't see the full picture. You can imagine someone trying to describe some very complicated piece of machinery only from one angle. That's kind of the feeling that you get when you're reading the prophets. They're all seeing the same thing, but they're only seeing a sliver of it. But what we begin to realize when we get into John's gospel is that anticipation is one thing, but when we receive what God has for it, It is far better than we could have ever imagined. 
So today, as we think about what it meant for them to anticipate the coming of Jesus, what we realize is, is that when Jesus came, what we have is an amplification of God's grace and mercy. That is to say that when God showed up, it was far greater than anyone could have dreamed. Let me see if I can put it into a picture for you. Imagine a kid, let's say eight or nine years old, who loves cars, and he asks his mom and dad for a a matchbox car to be put in the stocking, a little red Mustang, let's say a little red Mustang. Now, I'm not talking about one of these electric versions, I'm talking about, I'm talking about real Mustangs, like, you know, back when Mustangs were Mustangs and men were men, and anyway, um, (laughs) in 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 a more glorious day, And imagine that the kid is anticipating this little red matchbox car, which is a pretty humble present. And he gets up in the morning, he opens up the stocking, and there is no matchbox car. (laughs) But he walks out into the driveway, and there's a red car. Now, that's ridiculous. What eight-year-old needs that? Well, every eight-year-old, I guess, really needs a Mustang, right? right? And I know that's a ridiculous analogy, but when we're looking at the Scriptures, we need to realize that what was anticipated by the people of God, what were they looking for? They were looking for a great leader. That's, that's wonderful. Someone to help them with their problems. Well, that's nice, too. But what God sent them was far more than what they anticipated. It was amplified. It was not just something that made their lives a little more bearable, but Jesus came to give them eternal life. That's why John's gospel starts this way. It's because what God had given them was not something small, but it was something great. It was a mind-blowing gift. In fact, if you look at the text here, the word that is used is, is that God gave his people his fullness, his fullness. He didn't hold back. He didn't give the world a piece of what they needed, but he gave us everything that we needed, everything that our souls need most. Moses had received a glimpse of the glory, but when Jesus was manifested in the flesh, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.16, when Jesus was manifested in the flesh, we had the fullness of God. He dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. It is all about the presence of God. Not to play with the words too much, but we spend so much time at Christmas worrying about presents when it's really all about Jesus drawing near, his presence. That's what we need to focus on. That's what can make the world a better place. Friends, we all need God, and God came to all. This is the Christmas gospel. This is the essence of who we are as Christians. We believe that we have all that we need in Christ. And today what I want to do is I want to amplify, just as John's gospel does, I want to amplify three basic realities. We want to amplify the glory of God first. Then we will amplify the grace of God. And then we'll finish by amplifying the truth of God. What we see in these three elements are I believe, just the very fundamental particles and and, and building blocks of the gospel. Our job, our joy, our privilege is to share this message with the world. We want our church to be a sharing church. We want to share not just the resources God has blessed with us, but the most important and precious resource we have, which is the salvation of Jesus Christ. That's what the world needs 
And today I pray that God's word will help you see how glorious the gospel is. Let's begin with the question, have you seen his glory? If we rewind the tape of scripture and go back to Exodus chapter 40 verse 34, we are told that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was a person, one very unique individual in time and space that was able to soak in some of God's glory. In fact, we know he soaked in enough of it that he glowed, the Bible says. He alone was able to do that. We don't know why exactly God chose him to have that privilege, but when we look at the Old Testament and we think about glory, the closest anyone came was Moses. But now, look at John 1.14. Using the language, the same exact language of Exodus 40, verse 34, we are told, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And note this, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what John is saying. In all of the Old Testament time, one person, One was allowed to bask in the glory of God. John says, now that Jesus has come, we all can bask in that glory. He speaks of a personal experience. John is telling us his story, his personal encounter with the glory of God. But I think what he's showing us, and we know later because of the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus. We can experience the glory of God every time we worship, every time we pray, every time we're in the Word. There is no barrier. We don't have to climb over walls or go through curtains. The glory of God is available to you. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is an amplification of God's glory. God wants his glory in your life. I was thinking about that this morning. I was thinking about the average Christian life. And the average Christian life, the only problem with it is it's just too average. It's too average in the sense that God is telling us in his word that we have access to this glory. And yet very few of us are tapping into that glory Our lives are managed, our lives are manipulated by a world that has fallen. Our our lives sometimes are just focused on doing a job and getting through our day. I believe that God has more for you than just making it through your day. I believe every day that you are alive is an opportunity for you to tap into more of the glory of God. God didn't create you to be boring, so stop being boring. God didn't create you to be dull, so stop being dull. You have the power of God in you. You have the truth of the gospel in you. You have the very love of Jesus in you. That is a glorious thing that the world needs to experience. You see, Jesus is not just another uh, avenue to be spiritual or to know more of God. If you notice in this passage and many others, Jesus is declared to be a one of a kind. There is no one. He is the only son. Notice in the text, he is the only son. Jesus is always set apart as different. Now, I want you to hear that. 
Because in the world today, all spirituality is lumped into one big amalgam. Everybody wants to say spirituality is just one thing. But when we come to the Bible, the Bible says that there is something uniquely glorious about Jesus. Now, I say that to you because our voice needs to be one of uncompromising fidelity to the deity of Christ. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he is the word become flesh. This spiritual creative force that created the entire universe came into the flesh. The glory of God walking on this earth. That's power. That's a power that the church needs to tap into. It is his glory that began to shine there on that first Christmas morning. In his works later on in his life, that glory continued to shine on the cross, on, on the cross, on Good Friday, on that dark day when the Son of God died for our sins. Is that not glorious? Now looking back at it, realizing that that was the price for your sins? And we know the glory of Easter. And on a morning when my truck said it was 27 degrees, I'm ready for spring and I'm ready for Easter, baby. Come on. Let's get through Christmas. Christmas is good, but I'm ready for some warmth. Let's get to Easter. It's early this year, so I'll, that's a good thing. It's all glorious. The Gospels are glorious. They tell us a story of God's glory interacting with the mundane, with the, with the mediocre in this world. You see, the world thinks that magnificent things come, uh, you know, as shiny things, as, as beautiful, expensive things. But we know that the most beautiful things in the world are usually wrapped up in a thing called love. The most beautiful things in the world are about relationships and about being close and about being present with people that we love. You see, Jesus understood that. And the most glorious truth of all is that he chose to be present with you, to be with you and to be near you. That is a glorious truth. It's something that was seen and felt by those people in the first century. It's something that we can see and feel in the lives of others deep in our hearts. Hear this. Jesus' glory is a glory we must feel. If we don't feel the warmth of his glory, we will only know the coldness of our sins. I feel like that even in our worship, when this orchestra was playing this morning, when the choir was singing, there was something higher in that. There was something glorious in that. Friends, we need to be seeking that. That's why we have music. That's why we, we focus on things like that because we need to go to a higher place. We need to realize that who we are in Christ is not supposed to be just mediocre. We are to be warmed up by the glory of God and if we're not going to let God's glory warm our souls, then we will be cold. The world is an icebox, and I'm not just talking about outside this morning. But if we think about sin being darkness and the absence of light, if we think about the coldness that comes when there's no heat, we realize that so many of our Christian witnesses are not effective. We're not warming up the world because we are cold. We have no access to his glory. We are not opening our hearts to his presence. You need more of his glory. You need more of his warmth. And every time that you turn a cold shoulder to the ones you love, your neighbors, or even those people that you don't know at all, when you are cold, that means the glory is 
too far away from you. Jesus has drawn near so that you could be warm. He drew near so that you could shine with a light from heaven. If you are not warm and you are not a source of light, then you are not close enough to his glory. Christian, stop walking in the cold and come in to the light. Be glorious for Jesus. I'll tell you right now, the world doesn't need your glory. There's nobody in this room that can bring anything like what Jesus can bring to a heart. The world doesn't need me, doesn't need you, but they sure need us filled with the glory and warmth of Jesus. The culture today is an iceberg because the church is not allowing the glory of God to warm their hearts and thus warm the human experience. The people around us need to know the warmth of God. You see, God and flesh were joined so that we could be joined with God. This is glory, and this is a glory we can share. The next thing I want to share with you is this question, are you filled with his grace? You know, it's been a long time since I have lived at home, but the love and grace of my mom and dad have been with me no matter where I've gone in the world. You know, there's just something about that, that experience that God gave me. I think about it all the time. So much of what I've been able to share as, as a father, as a pastor, is because I've been poured into, because of the love of, of God poured into me. As I think about that, as I think about how I've been away from home all these years, it's always so good to be back with them. And I shared something like this with Thanksgiving, you know, going back into familiar places, going back home. It's always something special. There's just no, no way to... Uh, uh, even now that we have FaceTime and all these things and we can see people, there's just nothing like being present. I want you to realize that, that when it comes to the gospel, God understood that, understood that we needed more than just a one-time encounter with grace. We need grace every day. I want you to take a look at the text with me. When Jesus Christ came as the only son from the Father, he was full of grace and truth. We've been talking about the glory of God, but now let's shift gears and talk about the grace of God. The grace of God is, is something that is hard to put into words. Uh, last night, my, my, my family and I, we were uh, shopping a little bit, getting some Christmas presents, and we were talking about the difference between reason and grace. I mean, we were having a philosophical discussion, you know, shopping for Christmas, doesn't everybody? And you know, I kept saying to my kids, you know, just remember that every time you try to really understand grace, it just slips away from you because it's really bigger than logic and bigger than rationality. Well, kids that are in college really don't want to hear that. They want to hear that everything has rationality and everything has a reason and everything has a purpose. But I want to tell you, grace certainly has a purpose, but it's one that is so much bigger than we can understand. Here's the deal. Grace is such a fascinating concept because it reminds us that none of us deserve heaven. Grace is a way of reminding us that there is no way to work our way into God's favor. Now, here's what's interesting. We all love John's gospel. Words like truth and life and light and even Jesus. Did you know John's gospel uses the name Jesus more than any other book in the Bible? One quarter, fully, one quarter of the total uses of the name of Jesus is in the gospel of John. But he almost never speaks of grace. 
Grace wasn't one of his primary words. But even though it's not one of his primary words, he builds the whole gospel on that word here in John chapter 1. He mentions grace again and again and again. And the truth is that human beings can't remain in truth on their own. Sin pulls us away from God's faithfulness. Everything in this world is pulling you away from the truth of God. The only thing that will keep you anchored to Jesus is the grace of God. So think of grace as that which binds us to Jesus. We need grace because without grace, we pull away from God in all of his glory that we were talking about a moment ago. Look at verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received. Notice what it says, grace upon grace. That's an interesting phrase. All that fills your heart is Jesus. Only he can fill our hearts with love and truth. But I want you to see this phrase, grace upon grace. It actually translates grace instead of grace. What does that mean? Well, in one sense, we look at what God gave the Old Testament uh, folks, Moses and others. He gave them the law, which was a gracious thing. God told them what he wanted them to do. But there was one problem. They just wouldn't do it. Think about it. The Old Testament, God tells his people, this is what you need to do. And the rest of the Hebrew Bible is a story of them not doing it. So they had grace, but that grace that was in the law was something that revealed to them that they could not do what God wanted them to do on their own. Human will is too fractured and broken. Grace instead of grace means that God understood that we could never keep the law to perfection, so he sent us the perfection of the law in Jesus. Grace is how God makes up the difference. And what I mean by making up the difference, you always fall short. Imagine going up to the register today at Walmart and your bill is $500 and you have three bags of groceries because that's how much it costs these days. <clears throat> and you have $499.90. You're a dime short, baby. What are you going to do? You're going to put something back. I'm going to tell you, no matter how hard you work, you're always at least a dime short because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. We all want to think that we can pay our way. And that may be true at Walmart, but that is not true at the pearly gates. You can't pay your way. Your sins are always greater than your good deeds. That's why we have to be covered in the blood of Jesus. And that, my friends, is grace. And this phrase, grace instead of grace, is grace amplified. It speaks to a grace that cannot be exhausted and is not limited. It is grace without limits, grace without interruptions, a grace beyond logic. You never know where grace will take you, but you can guarantee it will take you further than you can imagine. I want you to believe that today. I want you to believe that wherever you're stuck in your journey of life, it's not okay, and this is not where you need to be. There is more beyond where you are today. God's grace is richer and deeper than you've ever known, and that's true even if you're in a good place today. We always assume that everybody comes into church in a bad place. Some of you are serving the Lord and experiencing his blessings. Let me just tell you this. If you're in a bad place, God's got a good place for you. If you're in a good place, God's got a better place for you. 
That's how his grace works. It's amplified. It's better than you can imagine, bigger than you know. That is grace. That is God's grace. Years ago, I came across this hymn, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus, by Sovereign Grace. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. One wave of divine grace, F.F. Bruce says, is always replaced by another. If you feel that wave of grace today, know this, there's more coming. This reminded me of an old hymn that I remember singing when I was a kid, Rich. I don't know when's the last time we've sang this, brother. I can't see it because of all the trees, but I know you're over there. (laughs) Wonderful grace of Jesus. You remember that one? Look at this. Look at this. Wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus. Deeper than the mighty rolling sea. Higher than the mountain. Some of you want to sing it with me, right? Sparkling like a fountain. All sufficient grace. For even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions. And I love this. I love how the author just says, sing it. That's crazy, dude. That's terrible poetry, but I love it. I love it. I love it. Sing it. Church, sing it. Greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name. I'm telling you, if you are filled with the amplified grace of Jesus, songs like that just will shake your soul. God's grace is sufficient for your needs. Paul discovered that in his weakness, and so must we. You see, the Christmas gospel tells us that God is glorious and that God is gracious. But finally, it tells us that he is truth. I've already hinted that Moses brought truth in full, but that's not exactly right. He brought the truth of God, and it was complete. Didn't Jesus say that nothing would be added to it or subtracted from it? So it was complete in a literal sense. The problem was, it wasn't the problem of a lack of knowledge. It was a lack of application. The issue was, is that no one was fully practicing that law. Truth is that which conforms to what really is. And God is real. He is truth. He has shared his truth with the world that we may know it. It is amplified in the person of Jesus Christ, who was full of grace and truth. This week, I think it was December 5th, there was testimony on Capitol Hill. Three of our nation's most prestigious universities sent their professors to go and talk about the problem of anti-Semitism on campuses. Maybe you've read about this. And what was interesting was that the world threw a fit because these college presidents said what the world tells them to say, which is basically there is no truth. It all depends on context. If you heard, now, now evidently the board didn't agree because one of those presidents got fired. So evidently context or whatever, they were wrong. But one of, the, one of the, the, um, the presidents, just so happened, um, was the president of Harvard. I read this morning in the Harvard uh, paper, and I had heard about this in another source, and so I went and read it this morning. She made this claim. She was apologizing for her, her mistakes. And she said this, I failed to convey 
what is my truth. Do you see the problem with that? You see, it wasn't, that wasn't the problem. The problem wasn't that she could not articulate her truth well enough. The issue is, is that she thinks everybody has rights to their own truth. I want you to know this. I can be a bear in debate, okay? That's not when I'm at my most godly, okay? I can tell you that. But I'm at my best when I am standing on the word of God alone. You see, Jesus came, and yes, he had a a message, what we would call propositional truth. He said things about God and about the world and about our sin. Those were propositional truths. But let me tell you, he was truth personified. You see, Jesus is truth amplified. When we ask the question, what does it mean to live life well? Let me even bring it down a little closer to reality. What does it mean to live the Christian life? It means to live like Christ. And I understand, I'm actually not all that unsympathetic to what the, the, those professors, those leaders of institutions, what they're facing. Because everybody wants to believe that their truth is the only truth. I don't, I'm not saying this to be mean to these people. They are in a no-win situation. The only way that we win as it comes to truth is when we know Jesus is truth. And every other journey in this world is going to lead to chaos and pain. Jesus embodied the law because he lived it. He didn't just speak his truth. He was the truth. You see, Christmas is about an amplification of truth because truth touches down. Truth is with us. Now truth is within us. It is the name of Jesus that we need to stand firm upon. It is the truth of the scriptures that will guide us. I have spent my life digging around in those ancient words. Some people might see that as a waste of time, but I'll tell you what it's done for me. The more I dig into the scriptures, the more they dig into me. It is a truth. I can read books and pull truths out of them and then think about historical realities and philosophical musings, but I'm telling you, the word of God is a living document. Listen, friends, beware. It'll cut you up. But some of you need to be cut up so that what will be removed is your sin. You see, one of the glorious things that God has given us is his truth. Jesus brought us new wine, a new temple, new birth, fresh water, bread of life, better than manna. He has made known to us the will of the Father. He is everything we need. These are glorious things. And I want to ask you, is your life reflecting Jesus' glory, his grace, his truth. All week, it's just been on my mind. I said it last week, I'll say it again. The problem isn't that the people in our community don't want to have spiritual conversations. The problem is you're not having spiritual conversations with people. You have everything you need. If you have been sitting in church and singing these songs and hearing these sermons, you know the gospel. You know the truth. Let that truth pour out through you. How you express it will be different than how I express it. But the way you express it will reach a person I can't reach and vice versa. You see, the body of Christ needs to be consistent in its witness because just as there are innumerable, like every single one of you have your own way and your own style, that's true out there too. There is somebody out there that needs your witness. 
There's somebody out there that needs you to shine brightly with the glorious truths of God, the glorious grace of God. The only question is, will we stand up to that challenge? Friends, I don't know what path you've been taking, but the only path to take is the path of Jesus. He is the one anticipated of old. He is the one who amplifies all that is good and perfect and pure. And I pray that that amplification will pour through your heart as well. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.